When we last spoke to you, we were celebrating Queen Elizabeth II's Platinum Jubilee, her 70th year on the throne. It's right on time, the Queen's appearing on the balcony. I just was thinking, what must be going through yes. her mind? 70 years ago, she was a 26-year-old young lady. My goodness, a lot has changed since then. Just three months after the Jubilee, on September 8, 2022, the Queen died at 96 years old. Good day, everyone. We're coming on the air with some sad breaking news. Queen Elizabeth II, Britain's longest reigning monarch, has died at the age of 96. And Prince Charles became King Charles III, fulfilling his destiny. The Queen's eldest son, now King Charles III, echoing his mother's promise to serve. I shall endeavor to serve you with loyalty, respect, and love. But some things haven't changed. In fact, the questions we raised in previous episodes of Born to Rule have proven to be pretty close to the mark, like Prince Harry and Meghan's conspicuous absence from the balcony during the Jubilee celebrations. You know who we didn't see was Prince Harry and Meghan no longer doing public duties, no longer working members of the royal family. And now Prince Harry has pulled back the curtain in spectacular fashion years of strained relations with his own royal family laid bare in interviews in a Netflix docuseries, but most of all in a new memoir titled Spare. Since excerpts from the book became public, it's been making headlines around the globe, a journalistic feeding frenzy. But for our purposes, for our podcast Born to Rule, the question has to be, how badly is this damaging King Charles's monarchy a reign still in its infancy? The answer will not be what Charles wants to hear. It's a crisis that threatens his rule, his reputation, and the royal family itself. I'm Keir Simmons, and welcome to a bonus episode of Born to Rule. I sat down with Katie Nichol, royal correspondent at Vanity Fair and author of The New Royals, and journalist and royal commentator Afia Hagen, the day the book came out, to go over some of Harry's memoir's biggest revelations. Afia Hagen, Katie Nichol, uh, good to be with you. Um, here we are, sitting with our copies, brand new copies of mm -hmm. Spare, uh, yes. Prince Harry's autobiography, and... Wow. <laughs> 400 pages of, of oh wow. my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Pick your yeah. jaw up off the floor, hey? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just listen, to explain it's all to there. People. It's all there, It Keir. is. In Warts black and all. Just to explain white. to people listening, um, Katie Nichol, you've written books about Prince Harry and about <laughs> the royals, yeah. and yet I don't think you'll be... I don't think it's rude to say that this is beyond any what, book. What, you think Spare's going to sell more copies than the new royals? How dare you? Listen, this is a book for historians, isn't it? This is, this is oh, uh, pulling yeah, back the curtain listen, in an unbelievable uh, way. Literally, you can, you can almost pull out 
any page and and something will jump out at you, whether it's, you know, one of the accounts of life um, in theatre in Afghanistan, whether it's one of the tales at Eton, um, whether it's, you know, one of those awfully awkward encounters between him and Meghan, William and Kate and the dynamic that clearly went so wrong there. I mean, nothing is spared, right? Nothing is spared. Nothing is spared. Mm. No stone is unturned. Um, Penguin got their dollars worth out of this, my goodness, and some. I've just never come across a book like this. I mean, he's not the first member of the royal family to write a book. It's been done before. But no one has gone to the places that Harry has gone to. We, our children and and their children and royal historians and people will be talking about this book for years to come. For those of us who are just fascinated by knowing what's really going on inside those palaces, that this satisfies that craving. Blows it open, blasts it open. I mean, when you think, you know, I'm thinking back to sort of previous big royal stories, okay, there was a tabloid newspaper journalist who got into Buckingham Palace and and served as a a footman. And, you know, you think, God, he's got behind the palace walls. What does the Queen look like when she's woken up? What's the first thing she drinks in the morning? Oh, no, the biggest revelation to come out was that the Queen has her cornflakes out of Tupperware. Shock, horror. The, the detail is always those tiny, tiny little yeah. details. And so for me, listen, clangers and bombshells and big exclusives aside, which are all just incredible, and I am still picking my jaw up off the floor, I'm also equally interested in these little nuances and these tiny details, and there is so much of that in this book. You know, you feel like you are in Balmoral. He's describing the texture on the wallpaper, the feel of the carpets underneath him, racing around the corridors of the castle when he was a little boy, running across the lawn. He paints this... Mixed picture, I suppose, of his childhood, but I think having done a biography on him and having charted his years and been the journalist that he fell in and out of nightclubs with for so many years at Bougie and everywhere else, it was really interesting to visit all of those chapters of his early life in such detail through his perspective. Let's talk about the more controversial aspects of the book, Afia Hagen, which are obviously, there are a lot. Yeah. Um, and also he's given a bunch of interviews at the same time as publishing the book. Mm. Uh, his relationship with his brother, uh, William, and then Meghan's relationship with Kate, Catherine, Princess of Wales, that, mm-hmm. that those are laid out in detail and, and it's very, very difficult. Yeah, they really are. I mean, I think when it comes to his relationship with William, he talks a lot about the sibling rivalry, that William always feels that he has to win, that he has to be first, whether that's, you know, they, they have an exchange where... This is Harry's account of fear. Yes, yeah. So this is it, all laid out from Harry's side, that he feels that William always has to be um, you know, the air in everything so has to be first in everything. Then that's been a recurrent theme from whether they were at school together, whether they were the Eton, you know, a recurrent theme has been the rivalry and also how much Harry just thought the rivalry was completely unnecessary. He was like, I know I'm the spare. I know that. And he doesn't like being consistently reminded of that and he talks quite lovingly about his relationship with Kate at first you know called her the sister that he never had and talks about the three of them had lots of fun together but when they had Kate and William had their family had young children and he was living literally half a football pitch away from them but he never saw them so he felt quite lonely in those moments as well and then he he thought there would always be a fabulous four right that whoever he married, they would bring into the picture and the four of them would do lots of things together. But I just feel that there was such a huge cultural divide between Meghan and Kate and William and himself that 
it was just a bridge that couldn't be crossed. And I think it's, it literally was, they were people who would never be friends in real life, if you will. They were thrown together in this situation and actually just couldn't make themselves rub along together. But that played out in the most horrible way in the press. And then there are the stories, what he has to say about his stepmother, uh, uh, Katie Nichol, about his stepmother, Camilla, the, now the Queen Consort. Camilla the villain. Camilla the villain. According to Harry. And, and I think, um, you know, I think everyone knew that they were in for a bit of a, a punching in this. I mean, I was told before this came out they were less concerned about the Netflix series, but it was a case of belts and braces for this autobiography. Um, but I, I, I don't think um, Camilla necessarily expected that she would come in for the lacerating that she has. I mean, it is, it feels like quite a personal attack. I mean, he talks about their very first meeting. And, you know, that this was actually, again, going back to Affa's point, he didn't feel that the meeting was as important to Camilla as meeting William had been because he was only the spare. So actually didn't really matter what Camilla felt to him. Um, he also took uh, that sense of feeling left out. He, he, he makes the point about there were three of us in the marriage, the famous quote that Diana gave to Panorama. And he said, well, actually, mummy got her maths wrong because there were five of us. That sense that he's not been included in the narrative from the outside, that sense that he's felt like an outsider. I, I was surprised by the level of victory aimed at Camilla. I mean, he doesn't hold back. He makes it very clear that he feels Camilla has engaged spin doctors, um, has pursued um, a narrative in the press, a rehabilitation in the press, often at the expense of him. And, um, you know, she, she doesn't come out terribly well. I mean, he expresses his relief that she wasn't the wicked stepmother. But by the same token, um, he says he paints a ruthless picture of Camilla as someone who was prepared to do anything that she needed to do to heal her own image and to be accepted, often at the cost of Harry. And Katie, this is the Born to Rule podcast. So what we're talking about and what folks listening have already heard a bunch of is, is the whole question of King Charles, formerly Prince Charles. And of course, Camilla is his now wife. So those questions that Harry raises, that, that criticism... And one of the important things he talks about is he says that she traded stories with journalists, that, that, he, that she, he accuses Camilla of of uh, trying to improve her image by uh, denigrating to, uh, to journalists Which the, I just don't Harry think, and Meghan. It, listen, I've done this for nearly 17 years. I've worked for years on the Mail on Sunday, I, you know, now at Vanity Fair. It has never been my experience that that has happened. The idea that, I mean, listen, I've been on engagements with Camilla I think compared to most members of the royal family, she's always stood out to me as, as the friendliest, always the one you get a smile from. So I think in that respect, she has made an effort to be be nice to journalists where other where other members of the royal family have just chosen to ignore them. But that's very different to planting negative stories. That has never been my experience. So that's your experience. But what is interesting, though, is that this is a real challenge for King Charles, isn't it? Because oh, this that, is the woman who's doubt. the Queen Consort. Well, she's going to be crowned right. here by in the a King's few, yes, side. Yes. In a few months' time, we are on the eve of the most important event in Charles's life. And in a way, I suppose, you could see what Harry is saying there and a lot of what he says in the book. You could almost picture him as kind of like a, a time bomb set by Princess Diana. <laughs> who knows what Princess Diana would say now if she was here. Yeah, and but who still... knows what's going to go off next with Harry. I mean, there is that sense a bit right. like his mother, that's that what, so, a loose So cannon. how much of a threat, threat is this for King Charles? You wonder how much more damage he can possibly do. I mean, he could name the person who made that alleged racist or unconscious bars or however you want to do it 
comment. He could absolutely do that. I, I think this is, I think the palace's view is that they're going to just let this run this narrative run and eventually fizzle out and that really all of the damage is here. It's in this book. There's there's you're, you're holding the book right holding now. Holding it like my fingers. Going <laughs> Clinging a, on to you it. You know, there, there, I don't think there can be much more damage done after this. And um, is it damaging the reputation of the monarchy? Yes, absolutely. And um, you know, I think Charles's Charles's view is that he has to be seen to extend an olive branch to the Sussexes. This rival court in Montecito, it, it is a threat to the royal family, and yet it's not a, a constitutional crisis because Harry is a peripheral figure. But it is problematic for but the But it king. is a threat in the sense that really, for royals forever and a day, but certainly for modern royals, your, rep your popularity is fundamental to your success. It is. But the rating of the royal family apparently was beginning to, to fall in the last few months. If you look at the Sussexes and their popularity, it is absolutely rock bottom here. Except with people, younger people. Uh, uh, listen, I, uh, yes, extent. yes, absolutely. You know, I think Gen Z do have some empathy and there is more support amongst that generation. But I think, you know, the, the death of the Queen the crown, the, the sort of royal narrative that has seeped into our culture, I think ultimately has made them popular and, and has also made them a big talking point. And so as we approach the coronation, as I say, the most important moment in Charles's life and a historic moment for all of us, we've never witnessed a coronation, to have that potentially overshadowed by all of this tittle-tattle, which is what a lot of the book does come down to. And I'm not knocking it completely because I'm enjoying it as, as I'm reading it. Um, but these family rifts, these fallouts, um, who said what? Was it over this? Was it over that? Um, you know, who punched who? It, it, it has to come to an end because it is damaging the monarchy. More on Prince Harry's new memoir, Spare, when we come back. Alpha One Niner, commence Wi-Fi device checklist. Laptops, on. TVs, streaming. Game console, console it. Smart thermostat, set for cuddle time. Doorbell camera, oh, my package is here. Fast, reliable, able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go, you are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet, Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film, The Aviators, now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply, actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. If you ever needed to be persuaded that bad things can happen anywhere, then take a journey with us. From compelling mysteries to in-depth investigations, our Dateline episodes are available as podcasts. Follow Dateline NBC now to get new episodes every Tuesday. To listen ad-free, subscribe to Dateline Premium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or DatelinePremium.com. Great storytelling with a twist from the True Crime original. Fia Hagen, Prince Harry openly talks about wanting to be the person who makes change happen, mm -hmm. particularly the royal family's relationship with the media. Mm -hmm. Is that... Do you think that this is the way to go about it? I think it's or is he risking the whole institution? No, I think it's one way to go about it, but he has to realise that he is one man and one man versus the British media industry or the British tabloid media industry. It's just... It's, and and it's an institution like the Royal Family. Exactly. Which it's is an enormous... Enormous uh, institution uh, powerful... itself. It's absolutely not going to work. 
what he has to do and what he's continuing to do is talk about what he went through, put it out there so that the royal family, that institution and the institution of the British media are forced to take a long, hard look at themselves. And that hopefully will create some change. Do you really think it's not going to work? I mean, what, why would you say it's not going to work? Or when you say hopefully it'll create some change, what change do you mean? I think in terms of, if I take the British media industry, you know, by having this discourse about what tabloid newspapers write, and not just what they write, how they obtain the stories, then that is hopefully, hopefully going to be a change. But here's the question, though, right? And, and is this is this the reason why he's not going to be successful in changing this, if, if that's true? That aren't newspapers and the media, in many ways, don't they just reflect the sensationalism that we're all fascinated with, um, the stereotyping and assumptions that we all make, they just reflect them back to us. Sometimes they help us shift them, sometimes they, they don't. And another aspect of it which is that, you know, in the end, the media is going to keep talking, keep writing headlines, keep broadcasting, keep publishing. So when you are in the media spotlight, you have a choice. You either engage with that and help focus that what's said or you step away and that's that's Harry's problem isn't it I mean that that's is that why potentially it's just not going to work because the, the, the whole thing just keeps going yeah because it's like chicken and egg what comes first um us wanting the sensationalism or the papers giving to us and then us wanting more us you know making these assumptions having these stereotypes do the papers right. give it to us it's or do we have it i was speaking Absolutely. with a, a newspaper editor just before christmas and i said because i know when i was working there we put william or, or kate actually on the cover and the and the newspaper would sell well, the, uh, Katie Nichols, there's the famous stories that even years after Princess Diana died, she if you put her on the front papers. page, you'd sell more newspapers. Well, the Daily Express has survived because of that. <laughs> yeah, this so one absolutely. of the British newspapers, but yeah. But this editor said to me, the Sussexes are selling newspapers like absolutely. never before. So there's no real appetite, certainly for the tabloid editor, just to stop running this story. And now who's fueled it all? Who has fueled the new narrative? It's Harry. So, 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 and I think that's really interesting. It's a desperately sad thing that... Prince Harry is his own description is of being in a gilded cage in the royal family, but he's also in a vicious circle. He's, he's feeding he's the beast. He's feeding the, the, the beast that he hates so much, isn't he? He is absolutely feeding the beast. A fear Hagen again. But he's also forcing that beast to take a look at itself. Yes, he's continuing to sell newspapers. And yes, you know, over the past week or so, <laughs> how many times has he been on the cover? Probably every day. But every day saying what? Every day saying there's the planting of stories, there's a leaking of the stories. Every day saying the, the newspapers wrote horrible things about myself and my wife. So what headline are you going to put there? Is, do you know what I mean? So like, I do. I, can I just bring you back, Afia, to the, to the question? Mm -hmm. He wants to change things. Yeah. Will he be able to? Not in his lifetime, no. Wow. No, he won't, because he's only one man. He's, you know, eventually the, the money will run out. You're going to be of limited resources. He can't do it by himself and change a whole institution, whether that's the British media or whether that's the royal family. He can try and he can make people have more conversations, whether that's conversations about how you obtain stories. You know, he referenced what Jeremy Clarkson wrote about his wife, Megan, and the horrible comments he made about her being paraded through the street and having excrement thrown at her. By talking about that, maybe you can influence editors so they won't publish such rubbish. And just when it comes to, you just mentioned Megan, Fia, and since our last episode of 
were born to rule, we, we've had this whole scandal where uh, a woman went to Buckingham Palace. Her name is Ngozi Falani, a woman of colour who attended an event at Buckingham Palace. There she met another woman, Lady Susan Hussey, who was a long-time aide to the Queen. Lady Susan Hussey questioned Ngozi Falani about her heritage, about where she was from. When those details emerged, it caused a storm of controversy and Lady Susan Hussey apologised and stepped down. Though later, the two met again to try to talk about what had happened. So since that's happened and now we have this Prince Harry talking about whether there's racism in the royal family. Mm -hmm. So where do you stand on that now in terms of that aspect of whether the royal family can change in terms of the perceptions of what it represents? That's such a huge issue, isn't it? I mean, first of all, when it comes to Prince Harry and when it comes to Meghan, they should be under no illusion that they are not the bastions for change when it comes to institutional racism in the UK. I think they think that they are, but I'm here to tell them that they're not. Mm. Thank you for your efforts. No, of course, you're a a black British woman. I am. And so... For me personally, when it comes to racism in the royal family, what I will say is, is that there's clearly unconscious bias there. There's institutionalised racism in the British media industry, and there has been for years, right? That contributed to the way that Meghan was written about. When it comes to the change that is needed, it's it's so deep, it's, it's way deeper than, than this podcast. I mean, how long have we got? But it's possible. But the problem is, is that, with when the royal family doesn't have anybody in them that doesn't look like them there's no real want for change they don't feel that they have to represent all the people that they rule over let's remember the commonwealth and the realms most of the people are from the global south in 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 that whole in that whole commonwealth and the realms most of the people are black and brown they're not white but the royal family rule over all of them. They don't quite rule over all of them. Well, no, they don't, the, you don't rule over the, the Commonwealth, kind of the, but, yeah, you know, are associated with them. The, the, exactly. the constitution, in many cases, the constitutional figurehead. Yes, exactly. And that's problematic, right? Um, and so when you had Meghan and Harry, who had a chance to sort of modernise and have someone different in the royal family, for them to look diverse and for them to look like these people, that they're the head of the Commonwealth, and she wasn't welcomed, that will be problematic, hugely problematic, for King Charles III down the line. Because then you will have Commonwealth countries saying to themselves, hold on a minute, so you had a chance for someone who looks a little bit like like us or has heritage like us to feel welcome within the royal family, you made her feel the opposite. Why are we contributing to you? Why should we have you as a figurehead? And there's lots of countries already, Jamaica for one, who are having that conversation. Barbados said, no more. We don't want to be any part of that. And that's going to be a huge problem for King Charles III. You know, one of the Queen's legacies was how she built the Commonwealth into 50-something countries. You had Gabon joining only recently because some countries see the benefit. But countries who have, especially countries that have been former colonies, now feel that, hang on, this is not beneficial for us. And this goes way beyond Prince Harry and Meghan and talking about Archie's skin colour, but this is um, how intrinsic race is with the royal family. Let's remember, the royal family contributed to slavery hundreds of years ago. 
But that was what built Britain and um, is part of the royal family's wealth. We could talk about the crown jewels. We could talk about the Kurnor diamond. We could talk about the scepter and the, the acquiring of all that wealth and those jewels. So real problems there. Um, Katie Nicholl, uh, you know all too well uh, that the royal story has huge ups and downs. And I think sometimes it's possible to forget that, both in the moments of you know, celebration and triumph like the it Queen's does. Jubilee. It has to ride these moments out. I just want to come off the back of, of, of Afua, though, because I think um, th this idea that Meghan wasn't welcomed in, I'm sorry, I, I disagree completely, actually. I, you know, I covered that wedding. I covered the engagement period. There was a great sense of excitement about that wedding. There was a great sense of excitement about the progression that the royal family was going through for all the very valid reasons you say, Afwa, the, the colonialism, the background. This was the first woman of colour marrying into the royal family. But it was celebrated. And um, listen, anyone that only reads Harry's version of events will come away thinking, oh my God, they, no, they made no effort. They, they treated her appallingly. She was an outcast from the beginning. That wasn't the case. But for people remembering, you know, you've got that image of Charles walking Meghan. You've got up that the image. Aisle. You've got that image of Charles. But you know, behind the scenes, the Queen, the late Queen, did a huge amount to make sure. I mean, she was fast tracked into royal life. She was given prominent and high profile roles. But you'd accept, though, wouldn't you, that it is hard to join the royal family? Full stop. Full stop. And to join the royal family as a woman of colour, even more difficult. So making that effort is, you know, actually, they should make that effort. I mean, any family but, should But make an that effort, effort was made. But overwhelmingly, what comes out of the book is that she wasn't made to feel welcome, that she was chased out by a racist Britain, an aggressive press and all the rest of it. And, and, and that, that is almost... You think one that's of the not reasons fair. why I think it's, for, for Harry, it'd be one of the reasons why he says he's he's written this book because he's he's felt that he hasn't been able to get his side of the story or the Meghan story. But out back there. to my question about so let's just go back to the question of King Charles and what this means for the monarchy. Yeah. And, and as I said at the beginning, there, there are there are always ups and downs. Yes, so they will you, ride this yeah, out. You, right, you have the marriage of Charles and Diana, and then the terrible time afterwards. Yep. The Anna Cerebris. You you have the Queen's Jubilee more recently, and then of course her her death and funeral. Yeah. So is this just another down yeah, and there'll blip. be more up, it's a peaks, blip? It's well, peaks, is it really listen, can't it's just really be a blip? Troughs. It's peaks and it's troughs. It's more than that, surely. He, he is not a working member of the royal family no, anymore. But if this was William doing this, end of monarchy, obviously. But but it's not. <laughs> this is not going to end the monarchy. It might trigger certain people to, to start questioning the need for an institution, but it's not going to it's not going to create a wave of republicanism in this country. I think in fact we've seen many people say good on the royal family. Family and, and their support has actually it, it is gathering momentum now because they see what Harry's done as an act of betrayal. But, but okay, but just to counter to you and, and mm. ask you, there are problems there, though, aren't there? I mean, first of all, you've got people taking sides, which is not what the royal family should be about. It should be unifying the country. You've also, you know, got this perception that it's not very nice behind the behind the walls yeah, of the palace. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not been damaging. It's not, it's, it's it, it, of course, this is damaging. Doesn't that therefore then lead to uh, over time? people to question the institution itself? That's my question. Well, I think, listen, I think you... you is that happening? going to happen in, in King Charles's reign? It is happening now, isn't it? We're, you know, it, people are discussing, commentary is taking place about whether this institution has a role in the 21st century. I mean, definitely, I think the, the, the Queen's death was always going to trigger that debate. And 
it, this is damaging because we are so early into King Charles's reign. And as you say, this is not a positive picture being painted of the family. But I maybe a bit belittles this, but but I don't think it is. I don't think it is going to have a, a, a long-lasting effect on the future of the monarchy. The monarchy will continue. The monarchy will evolve. The monarchy will survive. It survived an abdication. This is not an abdication. This is a family. The death of Diana. The death of Diana. You know, the greatest crisis in the Queen's reign. Um, it, it will recover from this. Of, of, of that, I'm quite sure. Hmm. Do you think the same, Sophia Hagen? I think, yeah, absolutely right. When you put it into context like that, Katie, it survived an abdication and, and the death of Diana. The monarchy will continue, but I don't think the monarchy will continue with the same level of popularity that it has had in the past. Um, partly because people will be fed up of the kind of keeping up with the Windsor soap opera. I should trademark that. That's really good. Um, I think people will be fed up of that from the side of both Harry and the royal family. And I think people will start to think, you know what? Is monarchy necessary? Do we need it? And I also, like like I said, think it will have an effect on countries and the realms and the Commonwealth, not just Harry's book, but the whole conversation around the monarchy. I think definitely countries will start thinking about, have started thinking about that and will continue to be thinking about that. And the Queen's um, death was a trigger, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, definitely. You know, this was a defining moment. The, yeah. de the death of Queen Elizabeth II was a defining moment where everyone stopped, took stock and said, OK, is this an age-old institution that has no relevance in a modern society? And a lot of countries actually had been thinking before, when it gets to the end of the reign of Queen Elizabeth II, that's when we will start thinking about our constitutions going forward. Like I said, Jamaica, Belize might be one of those countries as well. Maybe even Australia, Canada. You know, these countries kind of had in the back of their minds, we'll take this to the end of the reign of Queen Elizabeth II because she was being so wildly popular. And then we'll see how we go forward. I think what's happening right now, this whole crisis will expedite some of those thoughts, most certainly. I and I also think what's happened with Meghan particularly will expedite those thoughts as well. And I think what it will trigger is the royal family on a charm offensive. I think in the lead up to the coronation, we're going to see the royals dispatched to mm. parts of the Commonwealth and they need to launch a charm offensive because this... The charm offences, offensives in parts of the Commonwealth haven't gone very well in, mm. in recent Well, let's see, let, let's see. I mean, there's all sorts of rumours, aren't there, about Canada, Australia, both countries where the, the Republican conversation is, is heating up. Um, but a charm offensive has to happen because this is a, a good... very uncharming picture. More with Afia Hagen and Katie Nichol in a moment. Listen up, true crime fans. It's a big murder trial underway. This Dateline is launching a new podcast with Andrea Canning. Welcome to Dateline True Crime Weekly. We'll cover breaking crime news around I the mean, country. It is the twists, the turns, the With craziness. the best reporters on the case, NBC News analysts, and Dateline producers on the ground. Break it down for us. Just You'll just get fresh insights and behind-the-scenes scoops from crime scenes to courtrooms. That is bizarre. Stay in the, the know and up yesterday. to date. So tell us what he said. It Follow Dateline True Crime Weekly to get new episodes starting Thursday. Wherever you get your podcasts. Join Hoda Kotfi for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like 
NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. You're King Charles in Buckingham Palace with Camilla the Queen Consort beside you and your advisors. What are you deciding to do now to try and turn things around? Well, if I, I think peace has to be made because... You think he still needs to reach out to Harry oh, and Meghan? I, I think he has to because... Even after this... I'm holding the book right yeah, now. Even, even after, after this the, book. Absolutely, Keir, because um, a royal family with a discord at the heart of it, as we learned through the Waleses, is a royal family in danger. Can I... Char- yeah, go OK. Is that really right? Is that really the answer? You remember back... You mentioned the abdication. Mm. Uh, Edward and Mrs Simpson, uh, obviously his American wife... Mm. They were just ostracised. I mean, the, the royal family in history have been able to take a family member and just absolutely freeze them out. They have, but and that's, Edward, you don't think that's the answer now. With Edward Harry and Wallace and went relatively quietly. I know, I know, he published a memoir, but compared to today and where we are today, and the huge exposure and the platform the Sussexes have, they can't just ignore them, Keir. They have to deal with it, and right. the only way to deal with it is to make bite, the peace. Bite your lip and just go ahead and, and well, try I think to that's, say. I think that's what they've something. done. They're biting their lip pretty damn hard at the moment. I mean, to have not had any any response or reaction. Um, so the family rift needs to be sorted out. And then I think it is a case of, of proving to the world, to the Commonwealth, to, to the UK, that there is, a, there is a need for royal family. They have a purpose. We're not in an age where they can just take their very existence for granted. They have to prove why we're funding them, why we, the taxpayers, are paying for them. They need to justify their existence. They have to prove to us we're worth it. Afia Hagen, let me give you the final word. Mm. How do, how does King Charles patch this up? Because Harry, in those interviews, said, if I'm going to have conversations with my brother and my father, it's going to be in private. In private? I'm holding the 400-page book right now. After all that. <laughs> After all that, yeah. Um, I'm glad that he said it It has to be in private. I hope that it is in private. I agree with you, Casey. I think there will be a reconciliation. I don't know when. I think it will be quite a way down the line. But I do think that bridges will be built. I do think they will make up. We will certainly not see Harry back as being a working royal because that's not what he wants to do. I don't think it will be about him being him and Meghan being brought back into the fold or any of that. But I do think that there will be conversations. I think we will see Meghan and Harry at the coronation, whether they play a role or not. I think they will be there because it will be seen as petty and petulant of King Charles III to exclude them and not invite him. And we know that he's he's way above that. He's King Charles III. He's not going to go down that road. So I do think for the good of the monarchy, for the good of the royal family and for the good of it going forward, for the good of its popularity, that a reconciliation should be on the cards, will be on the cards. It's just the when. Thank you very much. That was great, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah. Just a note, we reached out to both Buckingham Palace and Kensington Palace. They didn't want to comment. We also reached out to a representative of Harry and Meghan. 
who declined to comment. This episode of Born to Rule was produced by Ursula Summer. Rachel Yong is our associate producer. Original music by John Estes. And additional music by Brian Robertson and MJ Hancock. Joseph Frischmith is our fact checker. Kiko Itasaka and Lara Saravia are our coordinating producers out of London. Bryson Barnes is our technical director. Mina Kathoria is our executive producer.